0: To fight for what we got, cause you believe in family. in family Happy, happy Father's Day. Uh, this has been an amazing sermon series uh, and uh, a couple of housekeeping things kind of before we get going. The one last week was so awesome. The Prodigal Family Barbecue. We had like 200 people there, and uh, it was super fun. We have some pictures in the back. They're gonna kind of flow through a little bit. So give yourselves round of applause. It was fun. We played. Uh, special thanks to uh, JD Food and Certified Meats for uh, the, the food that was there. It was super good, and uh, it was great. Also, thanks for braving this new transition with our parking lot. Uh, there'll be more signage next week and maybe a couple more spots to kind of enter, but we appreciate your grace during this season. Uh, And if you consider yourself like a core member at Prodigal Church, we want to encourage you to park farther away and just get to church a little bit earlier so that we can open up spots for first time guests and new families. Uh, Next, er, July 8th is baptism. Uh, Sunday, you heard the announcements earlier. Uh, So July 8th, if you're interested in baptism, uh, we want to encourage you to talk to me, or Maddie, or Brittany, or Stephen, Brad, or Braden, any of us, or you can email prodigalchurchfresno at gmail.com. Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. And I think that's so true. It's I'm all in. I'm following Jesus. So if you've never been baptized, uh, we want you to consider that. Uh, also, Braden, our youth pastor, uh, has done an incredible job in our student ministries on Sunday mornings and beyond. He and his wife are going to be moving to Omaha, Nebraska, to, or I'm sorry, Lincoln, Nebraska, which is even smaller than Omaha, and he's going to be getting his PhD, so we're super excited about that, and uh, we'll, hear, we'll hear more about those transitions in the next couple of weeks. July 1st is their last Sunday, and we're excited about uh, what's next here for Providence Church and what's next for them. And lastly, Next week we begin our wild sermon series, and uh, we're going to be kind of walking through and using stories from this book, uh, Everybody Always by Bob Goff. It's incredible. They're on sale for 10 bucks in The foyer. Also, his, his, his first book, Love Does, which was a New York Times bestseller, is also on sale for 10 bucks. if you want to kind of get a head start on the upcoming sermon series. I would encourage you to dig into this. It's awesome. You'll hear more about it too. Okay. I was reading an article this week about a pastor in his mid to late 70s, and some of the words that he, that he used growing up have changed a little bit, right? When he was a kid, his mother uh, used to wash her pantyhose in the sink and then hang them in the bathroom. Uh, anybody's mom or another or grandma ever done that? Okay, some of you. Uh, that's how he grew up, and so he'd go to the bathroom as long as pantyhose would be all over the shower and everything. And so many, many years later, he's preaching at his church in his Father's Day, and they're doing something where they acknowledge uh, some of the fathers in the church. And some traditional churches still do this, but they ask uh, the whole church, who has the most kids? And so this one father raises his hand, and he goes, how many kids do you have? And he says, I have eight children. So he goes, you win. Does anybody be eight? No. So he brings the man onto the stage, and he gets to the stage, and he says, all right, you've got to let us know what's the breakdown. What's the boy-girl ratio? And he says, I have eight girls. And the pastor, oblivious to pop culture, says eight girls, that's a lot of hoes in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Dads are special. I read some powerful quotes about dads here and will be on the screens. There are three stages of a man's life. He believes in Santa Claus. He doesn't believe in Santa Claus. He is Santa Claus. read this from Mark Twain. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. That's that's true. I want to encourage you guys to bless your dads today. Uh, They may have forgotten some of the fun stories or memories that you might have. Uh, growing up, and so I want to you to send a text message, give them a call, uh, help them remember some of the fun stuff, but be a blessing to them. It may mean more to him than you know. This morning, as we close out this sermon series, I want to look at some biblical principles of fathers. Um, But just so we're clear, this is for mothers and daughters and sons as well. So whether you're a parent or not, this certainly applies to you. So to start out, I want to go back to kindergarten and play a little game. It's kind of like Simon Says, but I'm not Simon. But I, I do need you guys to all participate here and do what I say, okay? So everyone, to so start off, it's really easy. Just raise your hand and put it up in the air, just like this. Maybe give a little bit of spirit fingers. Some of you aren't participating. Okay, the Lord is watching. Okay, now I need you to grab that hand and make a fist. I need you to put it right on your cheek here, just like this, right on your cheek. Your cheek. Your cheek. Your cheek. Your cheek. See? Now, it's much easier to follow the example that you see rather than what you hear, correct? It's true. It's true in our lives. People follow what they see, not what they hear. We tell our kids all the time, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But if we do that, they'll do that. Uh, Scriptures give us numerous examples of children following the negative examples of their fathers. Look at First Kings twenty-two. It says this, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Jeremiah nine fourteen. They have walked after the, ima- the imagination of their own heart, and after that Balaam, which is the- which their fathers taught them. I'm telling you, dads, that if you blow it and and fail to live the godly example and in- Christ likeness that God desires for you. You will pass that cycle on to your children. Uh, there's a lot at stake. Uh, Harry Chapin, here's a picture of Harry Chapin. He wrote this incredible song in the early 1980s called Cats in the Cradle. And um, oh, I just want to uh, share a little bit about this song and then, and then this, this man's life. So here's the first lyrics of the song. It'll be on the screen if you can follow along. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the, un- in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He to walk while I was away. He was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, you know, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the verse is, the the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and man on the moon. When When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Son, you know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never did. He said, I'm going to be just like him, you know. I'm just going to be just like him. He came from the college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say. Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired, and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's been sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me my boy was just like me. He'd grown up just like me. Not long after Harry Chapman's song hit the charts, he began to wonder why he himself was not paying attention to his own family. So he decided this the song was a hit. And so after this summer, next summer, I'm gonna take some time off and reinvest into my family. I'm going to make some changes. He was gonna cancel some engagements and slow down. But that same summer he was killed in an automobile accident. Fathers, mothers, sons, daughters. If you're going to make some changes, you better start today, because tomorrow might be too late. Whether you're a father or not, Do you want people to look at your life and follow your example? Do you want others that you want to influence and love? Do you want them to be more like you or less like you? Do you want the people that you care about to turn out to be the person you are? If not, let's make some changes. Michael Jackson was right. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message. Could have been any clearer. You gotta start looking at the person in the mirror. If you wanna change your influence people? You gotta start with the person that you stare at every morning and you brush your teeth. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 9 when we're on the screens. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all possible things to all people. By all possible means, that I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share its blessings. Good parents pursue their kids and find them in their world. And this is for everybody. If you want to influence people, anybody, whether you're a parent or not, you've got to meet people where they are. And this is on the screens. Meet your kids in their world. Meet, the ki- meet your kids in their world. It doesn't mean that if you have a son or daughter who like, likes hip-hop, you go into their room while they're listening to it, and you're like, yo, homies, um, don't do that unless you like, want to punish them. Uh, but my mom worked really hard at this. And she had a tough time when I was growing up in the 80s. Uh, the, the regular Nintendo was amazing, right? And so uh, just two buttons and also select start. And we would always play it. And my mom would come up to us and my friends while we were playing and she would go, you guys playing that Nintendo? <laughs> we're like, well, we intend to. Um mom is Nintendo. She could never get that right. But she was trying to meet us where we were. Meeting them in the world doesn't mean being like them, but being involved in their world. Who's their best friend? What's their favorite activity? As the shepherd of your ch- children, you need to spend time doing activities that they like. When I was growing up, um, my dad worked all day, and then he'd come home, and I, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but probably, and most likely, my dad's ideal time when he got home was uh, maybe just, like, relaxing on the couch and watching a game or something with his kids. That would probably be the ideal time for him. For The ideal time for us was wrestle or go in the swimming pool. That was it. And so my dad comes home and he's all tired from work and we're in the back and uh, we're playing in the pool and he comes home from work and, and he's walking into the back door and we go, dad, dad, dad uh, you want to jump in? And he just kind of kind of does this and just walks in the house and we're like, man, he goes back to his room and we're like, man, that's a bummer. And I'll never forget that back door opening up, he went and changed into his swim trunks and goes cannonball and jumps in and we're like, yay, dad! And then he's throwing us. It was an amazing time. Meeting us in our world. He didn't want to. I know that now. Being a parent myself, I realized he was tired, and he probably just wanted to relax. But he met us in our world. My parents always knew who my friends were. In fact, my parents were invited to numerous of my friends' weddings because they had a genuine relationship with them. That's them meeting me in my world. They were engaged in my life. And as Christians in general, we should always be meeting people where they are. This is a biblical principle that we see again and again throughout the narrative of Scripture. And God met Israel where they were. And so we're gonna do some theology this morning. Uh, This is kind of deep, but uh, hopefully you take it, I do. Just look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, you've heard it was said, do not commit murder. Jesus here is quoting the 10 commandments, okay? He's quoting Moses, the ultimate standard for the Jewish people. See, God told Moses on the mountain of Sinai, Do not murder. He writes it in stone. He brings it down to the people of Israel. And Israel bases their entire society, customs, rituals, and law from this godly command. And then Jesus says, you've heard it was said, don't murder, but I tell you that if you're angry with someone else, you've already murdered them in your heart. What's going on here? Jesus changes the law. See, the Old Testament, you can think the most angry, villainous thoughts towards someone, but as long as you didn't murder them, you're good. You're obeying the commandments. Jesus says, no, no, not anymore. It's about the heart. What's going on here? It leads us to some interesting questions. So, number one, does God change? Because the Old Testament says very clearly what the law is, and then Jesus changes it. Or, number two, does God change his law? Or are God's laws flexible? Right? These gives us some interesting questions. What's happening here? I would not say that God changes his laws or that God changes. I would say that he met Israel where they were. We can phrase it this way. Was God okay with the Old Testament people saying, you can think the most villainous, hating thoughts ever towards someone. Angry doesn't matter. You can think those, but as long as you don't murder, you're okay. Was that really God's posture? I would say no. I would say his standard was always our minds should be pure and we should not be thinking and having that anger in our hearts towards people. But he met Israel where they were. They were a violent, uh, kill-or-be-killed world in a nomadic, tribal people group. And God met them where they were. And Jesus reveals what God is like. Not so he met whether were not so that they could stay the same, but so that they could be open to transformation, so they could take the necessary steps towards transformation. And there are countless examples of God doing this throughout the scriptures. It almost—it's like He's endorsing bad things. It's almost as if God is endorsing horrendous activities in the Old Testament. And I don't think it's because God changes and we get the nice God in Jesus, but violent God in the Old Testament. No, I think God is meeting people. So as to transform them. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this, right? He met us in our world. God became man and showed us what God is like. If you want to know what Jesus what God looks like, look to Jesus. And this is actually Prodigal's first core value. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. He's revealed. Hebrews tells us that he is the exact essence of the divine, of the Father. The, the, the Greek word there is upostasis, it's its essence. Colossians says, he's the image of the invisible creator. So if we want to know what God's like, we look to Jesus. How does this meeting people where they are play out for us in everyday lives? Well, we already do this naturally with with kids when they're young, right? This is why we have baby talk. You don't go up to, like, a baby and, uh, like my baby. You don't go up to Ivy and go, well, hello, what is your name, middle name, and surname? anxiety. Oh, well, hello, baby. You are a very pretty human being, little human child. No, you don't talk like that. When you see a baby, that's the way a baby talks, right? Hey, that's the girl. That's the girl right there. Dance who? dance There she is. And so you're, this is how you talk to children, right? And then we also, when we see a baby uh, or a little child, we don't go, oh, how you doing down there, child? No, no, it's it's we get in their world. Hey, what are you doing? You're walking like a big girl. You know, you get below. You play with blocks. You play with dolls. You meet them at their level. God does the same for us. We meet them at their level. Why do we stop this though? When kids get older, we stop meeting them at their level. Well, you're grown now. So, no, no, we still can. Maybe it's time for us to pick up the phone and play Fortnite. It's, maybe it's time we read the books that they read or get to know their friends, get to know them in their world we meet people where they are and this is so true for evangelism this is so true for evangelism don't feel the need to bring people to wherever you are like you meet someone they're atheist, they're not a Christian they don't know God, they don't love Jesus, whatever it's not your job to just convince them to get them to exactly to where you are love on them, show and share Jesus. But God might be okay with where they're at, and he certainly might be more okay with where they're at than where you are wanting them to be. God might be okay with where they're at, even though you might not be. He meets us where we are. There was once a young man named Caleb who was obsessed with gathering possessions and gaining status. He was so driven by his desire to succeed that, and from an early age, he meant to became one of the most prominent and influential figures in his city. Yet, he was not happy with his lot in life. He worked long hours, rarely saw his children, and often became irritable at the slightest problem. More than this, he knew that his lifestyle met with his father's disapproval. See, his father had been a wealthy, influential man in the city, but he had found that such a life was shallow and unsatisfactory. So as a result, he turned away to endeavor and embrace a a new life in Christ of simplicity, fellowship, and prayer. And Caleb's father taught him from an early age about the problems of seeking material and political influence. And he warned Caleb in the strongest possible way to embrace a life deeply committed to Jesus. Caleb's father was an inspiring man, well loved by all. And Caleb could see that his father, while living in a modest way, was at peace with himself and lived in a manner of peace with his world. Because of this, Caleb often looked longingly at his father's lifestyle, frequently detested the only personal path that he chose. Yet despite this, he was still driven to, to pursue wealth and power. It was true that his father was a happy and content man, but he was also concerned with his son, and so. Almost every occasion he could, he would criticize Caleb for the life he had chosen. Constantly, family gatherings, sees him on the road, he would say, that's not the answer. And he would criticize Caleb. But one day, Caleb's father was reflecting upon his son's life, and he got a word from God. He heard this word from heaven, it said, Caleb is also my son. I love him just the way he is. And Caleb's father began to weep understanding the criticism that he has placed on his son all of these years. And he began to weep. Immediately he visited his son's house and offered a heartfelt apology, saying, please never feel like you have to change what you do or who you are. I love you without limit, without condition, just the way you are. You're my son. And after that day, the father began to take an interest in his son's life again asking questions about how he was doing, how his work was progressing. But increasingly, Caleb found that he no longer was interested in working long hours. Soon he started to skip work in order to stay home and visit his family. Eventually, Caleb gave up his work entirely and followed in his father's footsteps, realizing that it was only after his father accepted him unconditionally for who he was that he was able to change to become who he knew he wanted to be. That's what loved us. In this fable, we see a father who was a good example, and we also see a father who met a son in his world. How can we do this? As followers of Jesus, whether we're parents or not, we should do the same. i want to invite Stephen and in the worship room to come up. We answered this last Sunday, but sometimes we find our identity in our kids. Other times we find our identity in being a mom or a dad, or we find our identity in being single, or being a grandparent, being uh, a business person, an owner. We find our identity in all kinds of things. George Foreman, famous boxer, grew up never knowing who his father was. So when he got married, he ended up having several children, four of which were boys. You know what he named all of his kids? George Foreman. He had a daughter. She was M. He said, I never want my children to forget who their father is. God has given us a name His son, His daughter, His child. He loves us. That frees us to fully be who God's called us to be, to meet people where they are, to be the kind of example that God has called us to be for our families, for our co workers. When people look at your life, do they want to be like you? That person has so much patience. That person has so much grace. That person has so much love. That person's at peace, even though they may not have great financial wealth. That's the kind of desire God has called us towards, the kind of life He's called us towards. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we, that we would grasp this. That we would grasp our identity is found as sons of God, as daughters of the King. That it's not based on our job It's not based on our merit. It's not based on how good we are. It's not based on how often we attend church. It's based on our identity in Jesus. God, thank you that you showed us what it means to meet people where they are. You met us. You left heaven and became a man in first-century Palestine. God, where there was dirt and dropped toilets and no air conditioning, God, you became one of us to show us what you're like. You were God in a body, Jesus, we're so thankful for that. You didn't come in a, in a chariot of fire or a spaceship from another world. You showed up as a baby in a manger in I thank you that that's what you're like God I pray for your forgiveness For the ways in which I've found my identity as a pastor That that that's who I am And if if this ever gets taken away from me Then I don't know who I am outside of it Forgive me for that God I'm a child of the king I'm dearly loved by God God, I pray in Jesus' name for that realization to fall upon every person here, God. That we don't find our identity in what we do. That we don't find our identity in who we're related to. God, that we find our identity in Jesus. And we show that in in everything that we do. God, we pray for that in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you are a good father. And that I'm loved by you. And that's who I am. Father, let us remember that this week and beyond. We love you and we meet you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we declare the goodness of God, the good, good Father that he is, and then who we are as his, as his children, and that you're loved by him. No matter what you've done, you're loved by him. No matter your failures, your past, you're loved by him. Thank you, Father, for your goodness.